Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Kind. Make It Kind. M-I-P. With Massimella Mark Thompson. Make It Kind. Get woke. Happy Kwanzaa, mamas and babas, sisters and brothers. Hasn't this been a glorious Kwanzaa season? And if you've been listening carefully, as I'm sure you have, and you all can play this back as often as you like for your loved ones and family and children. Um, as I was listening to Dr. Karinga all week, he was giving me a vaccine. He was giving me a shot in the arm. I wanted to run, you know, and I know he's not necessarily a preacher, but I still wanted to run while he's been talking to us all this week. It has been powerful. Uh, and informative and strengthening. And so we need the vaccination up here. Mostly, most of all. And that's what he's been doing is giving us our Kwanzaa vaccine as he's done since its founding. Let me say formally again, we always acknowledge his his accomplishments. He is the professor and chair of the Department of Africana Studies at Cal State University, Long Beach, the chair of the organization us and the National Association of Kawaii Organizations. And of course, the creator of Kwanzaa and the Nguza Saba principles and the author of the definitive Kwanzaa, a celebration of family, community, and culture. We have been so blessed to have him here with us. We've been greeting one another, all of us. I hope we have all this week with the Kwanzaa greeting, Habari Gadi, and we greet him on this final day of Kwanzaa celebration, Dr. Maulana Karinga. Habari Gadi, Dr. Karinga, and thank you. Asante Sada. Imani, Reverend Masamelan. Habari Gadi to all our audience. And I want to say Hedy is our Kwanzaa. Hedy is our Kwanzaa. Happy Kwanzaa to all of you. The seventh and final principle is Imani. I started with Emoja because without Emoja, we can't get anything done. We can't build families or friendship. We can't build community. We can't wage the struggle we need in order to bring good into the world effectively and the most ethical, effective, and expansive way. And I gave 
I put Imani at the end because without Imani, we can't continue. We can't, we can't endure. There's too many things that are going to come in between when we start and in the middle of what we're doing. And so with faith, we can hold it. Imani means faith. It's the seventh principle of the Nguzo Saba. And the text tells us that Imani calls on us to believe with all our heart in our people, our parents, our teachers, our leaders, and the righteousness and victory of our struggle. We must then have faith in our people. It doesn't mean we don't have faith in God or the transcendent. That's a given for Africans. The question is, do you have faith in your people? That's the question. We're not even arguing, do you have faith in God? We're arguing, do you have? Because in ancient Africa, atheism was not even a rejected philosophical possibility, right? There was not a question, right? So the question is, do we believe in each other? And therefore, Mehmet Klavathun, again, one of the most brilliant thinkers of our time, said in the, in, in, in the 19th, in the 20th century, said that faith in God is great. But great also is faith in yourself. Why? Because you're supposed to be, as the ancient Egyptians first taught, in the image of the divine, right? You must be creative also. You must understand yourself, as the ancient Egyptians taught, as bearers of dignity and divinity. And this dignity is an inherent worthiness that we gave the world, that humans have this special status, right, as images of the divine that they have this thing called shepesu, dignity and inherent worthiness, that is first transcendent of all social and biological attributes, race, class, gender, sexuality, age, right? Uh, ability, et cetera, nationality, religion, et cetera. Second, it's equal in all. And third, it's inalienable. but nobody can take it from you. It's inherent. And the way they did this is to teach a narrative of jetty, and Jetty, the wise man, who was asked to experiment on a prisoner, and he tells the Pharaoh, we cannot do that to a noble image of God. We can't do that. And the prison is taken because it was seen, prisons are seen as disposable populations. And the question was, how do we reaffirm the dignity of a prisoner or anybody else, regardless of the social status they lose? Because this dignity is not social, it's inherent, right? What a beautiful concept. We, how could we have human rights without this concept, right? And Africans introduced this concept more than 4,000 years ago. So I'm talking about that faith in ourselves and in what we've created, knowing ourselves, as Malcolm said, by reading our history and understanding ourselves in light of that. That is why he said of all our studies, history is best qualified to reward our research. And so we must believe in ourselves with all our hearts, in our people, in our parents, in our teachers, our leaders, and the righteousness and victory of our struggle. Let's take each. We must first believe in our people, in their capacity for a commitment to good in the world, in our parents, our foreparents, and current parents, and the good they've done and do and want for us. We must believe in our teachers who teach us the good and inspire us to embrace it. And we must believe in our righteous leaders who guide us toward the good and aid us in becoming self-conscious agents of our own life and liberation. And we must believe in the righteousness and rightfulness and right direction of our struggle. 
This is a sacred struggle we wage to bring good into the world for everyone. People say the black agenda is narrow, but really it's a white agenda. They've imposed that on us. There's not a struggle we wage that did not include and benefit everybody, right? We must believe that our struggle for freedom for the oppressed, justice for the wrong and injured, power for the masses of, of people over their destiny daily life, and the just peace in the world is a rightful and compelling struggle. We must struggle for these people. For still, the oppressed want freedom. The wrong and injured want justice. The masses of people want power over their destiny and daily lives. And the world wants a just and enduring peace. And we are vanguard at the heart of the light at the head of the river, as they say in the ancient text, right? We are the ones that are there and must wage this struggle with allies. And we must believe in the rightfulness and eventual victory of our struggle. Believe that we can together end oppression, lessen and eventually eliminate injustice, put an end to the suffering, unnecessary suffering in the world, and an end to the disempowerment of the masses of people, and finally erase the scourge and bloody trail of war from the world. And finally, we must have faith that a different future is possible, that we can, as Franz Fanon urged us, start a new history of humankind and with other progressive people in the world, bring into being a new world and a new man and woman who will cherish, respect, and reaffirm each other, sustain the good in the world, and pass on this good and legacy to future generations. So let us go forward then in and with unity, self-determination, collective work and responsibility, cooperative economic, purpose, creativity, and faith, striving to embody life, striving to embody the life, I mean, striving to embody the dignity of firm in life, life enhancing and world preserving values of our ancestors that represent the best of what it means to be African and human in the world. Let us always strive also to be a powerful presence for good in the world and constantly work for the good life every person and people as bearers of dignity and divinity demand and deserve. And let us this Kwanzaa always wish for each other and all of us a long and good life, blessings without number and all good things without end. And in the tradition of our ancestors, may we all be granted all that heaven gives, the earth produces and the waters bring forth for their death. And remember this too, this is our duty to know our past and honor it, to engage our present and improve it, and to imagine a whole new future and to forge it in the most ethical, effective, and expansive ways. Therefore, continue the struggle, keep the faith, hold the line, love and respect our people and each other, seek and speak truth, do and demand justice, be constantly concerned with the well-being of the world and all in it and dare help rebuild the overarching movement that prefigures and makes possible the good world we all want and deserve to live in and leave as a legacy worthy of the name in history Africa. Hedi Kwanzaa, happy Kwanzaa, Hotep, Ashe, Hedi. Folks, on 
this seventh day of Kwanzaa. We say Habarigani, of course, again, and Imani, which means faith. So it's important that we talk to a person of faith, a leader of faith, a pastor of faith in our community. And some of you may have seen his op-ed in the Washington Post. If you have not, please be sure and check it out. Uh, some of you may have seen him on um, the news um, after what happened to um, the front of his church when some of the Proud Boys and Trump protesters uh, went there and desecrated a Black Lives Matter sign in front of the church. This church is one of the most historic churches in the world. It was a church, um, one of, it was one of its members um, was Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass called Metropolitan AME in Washington, D.C. home. I was there um, when Rosa Parks' funeral was held there. I was right there. And also, um, Metropolitan has been a home for activism. The very first demonstration against the Persian Gulf War around Dr. King's birthday in 1991, because we were offended that H.W. Bush would call for a war on Dr. King, the peacemaker's birthday. One of the very first, no, the very first demonstration in the country was organized by the current mayor of Newark, New Jersey, Roz Baraka, and me, yours truly. And we had that demonstration at and rally January 15, 1991 at Metropolitan AME. Amen. So uh, that's the history there. And it has been that headquarters. And many of us were concerned uh, about this desecration. You all saw it on the news. Our brother with us is the pastor of Metropolitan AME, the historic Metropolitan AME Church, African Methodist Episcopal Church in Washington, D.C., and we're happy to have him here on the seventh day of Kwanzaa, this day of Imani faith, Pastor William H. Lamar IV. My brother, happy Kwanzaa to you. Happy Kwanzaa, my brother Bargani, and a blessing to be with you all on this seventh day. Yes, sir. So we people, we many of us saw your um, uh, editorial in the Washington Post. But let's begin, though, and kind of go through a look, the chronology of what happened. Um, uh, were you aware, I mean, because this was in the middle of the night, so I, I'm presuming you weren't in the, the church building, but, no. but how were you made aware of what was happening right outside your church on that night? So let me give you some brief context, brother. So earlier that day on a Saturday, a few of us had gone in to do some work, as is our custom, and we were leaving our security. We have a, a black security contractor, excellent people. And they stayed until nightfall because of the uh, protest and the uh, stop the steal folks who were in town. They left, they had been there about four or five hours. And so no one was the wiser. About 9 a.m. I got a text from a pastor whom I respect greatly, Pastor Karen Brow at Luther Place a Church. And she said, Bill, Sorry to, uh, about what happened in Metropolitan. I said, what happened? I was oblivious. She said, Proud Boys, ABC. She texted me a link that was posted on Twitter from a sympathetic journalist who photographed it, video, videographed it, and sent it out. And so I saw it and was just 
I don't I, I couldn't feel. I was just because we were 30 minutes from going live on worship. So I was processing. Then I got a call from Reverend Thomas Bowen, who works with the mayor's faith outreach, good brother, Morehouse brother. Yeah. He reached out. Uh he said, I'm on the way, man. The cops are coming. This is what happened. And so um that's how we found out. And I, I was going live in 15 minutes. So I called my two of my major lay leaders. I said, y'all, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? So we, we put our heads together. They said, let's go through worship. And after, during worship, you don't come. You sit down. We will go and check on things. So they went, evaluated the damage. Nothing was done to our building, praise God. But they ripped down our Black Lives Matter sign, tore it up, were chanting. And there was some graffiti out front of the church. They did not deface the building, but they defaced some public planters out front, uh, probably that belong to the city. And they also spray painted some symbols down on the front, uh, on the on the sidewalk, but but no real, no harm at all came to the building. Which makes me think, Brother Mark, that this was surgical. Like they, the people were planning how far they would reach the law. Mm. I, that's I, I think that uh, that that there was some command and control going on. That's 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 very interesting, um, and you're probably right because because at at a point some of that stuff looks like performance activism. You know, they they just want to do something because they only go so far. But thank God, um, it didn't go any further. But but it makes a statement though, doesn't it? Oh yes. Oh, yes. oh yes. Surgical move would be at your at a at a historically black church, and there were a few others, obviously, that they hit as well. They actually burned the sign at Asbury. Exactly, know, I believe. Exactly, uh, and and what's what we have been told by experts who who do this type of investigation that often these people know the history of targets, and they're making decisions. So what I tell people is. Even if, if whether they knew it or not, I, I won't I don't know that. Hopefully, because we have a strategy, uh, a legal strategy uh, in the spirit of our ancestors, Paulie Murray and Charles Hamilton Houston and Thurgood Marshall. We got a legal strategy, but it is an ancestral attack mm. to, to come to that space is not to just deal with the contemporary vitriolic hatred. But it is an ancestral attack because of what you said about our history. And so we need to be clear. This is ongoing white settler colonialism. colonialism. This is our space, not yours. We can do what we want to do. And so, you know, I, I, I think about when I was processing my emotions, I, I, I felt rage, man, deep rage. But then I also felt this joy, like this joy rising up in me which is the joy that nourishes the ongoing struggle that will not end. Yeah. Yeah. That that does not, we don't, we don't get a vacation from this struggle, not in this place because it is defined exactly by this type of hatred. You, you, even the headline, the title of your op-ed was so eloquent, my brother. Um, The, my church will replace our Black Lives Matter sign. Will America replace its racist myth? I mean, and, and that's that's an appropriate challenge. And and a, and a a generational, lifelong pursuit. 
So you and I were talking about our growing up, myself in Macon, Georgia, later in Tallahassee, Florida, you in Nashville. The story that shaped the both of us, I believe is a similar story, right? About human potential, about human community, about love, about respect, about all of us being children of the divine. That's not the story that shaped the people that did that. Now, I am not without sin, so I'm not throwing stones. But the, but the story that animates me prevents me from doing certain things. And my story would not allow me to do that. It would not allow me to do that. And so what I, what I, you and I were having this conversation prior to going on the air, you can get a Voting Rights Act in 1965, and then in the early 2000s, the John Roberts court will gut it. Because in this nation, progress is never permanent. The minute progress occurs, actually before it occurs, the counter forces are already cooking up a way to mm -hmm. take things back to what they were. Yes, sir. My issue with us is we tire too quickly and celebrate too soon. We got to stay on the wall. Yeah, yeah. And, and you being from Macon. I mean, that's really what the challenge is right now. Um, what happened November 3rd and trying to make sure that folk get back out again uh, in a few days on January 5th. Yes, I was on with Joy Reid a few weeks ago and, and Joy said it even before some preachers said it. You know, we see what's happening with our brother Warnock and she called it out. She's, he, she said there is a war against the black church. Easily. Easily. And, and what we got to do is go back. Not only have black human beings been seen as criminal through a, a lens of criminality, but our theology. So in many southern states, South Carolina being an example, because at one point there were more enslaved people than white folks in South Carolina. So white folks there were always on edge because of what went down in Haiti and because of revolts. And so black people could not gather in worship without white, a white man being present which is why our theology is a maroon theology, right? It's a theology that occurred outside of the official glaze. This is something I went to Duke Divinity School. I don't, I don't say that often, and I'm saying it to make a point. So I went to Divinity School, and I was, you know, the cats I was closest to, Captain with the A&T, Captain with the Morehouse, I went to FAMU. We would stand outside of the Divinity School in a quadrangle with the statue of James B. Duke in front of us smoking a cigar and Duke Chapel behind us, which had the iconography of the Confederacy uh, in its stained glass and its statuary. We would stand there and the professors would come and go. And to a person, when we stand it out, we would stand out there just, just chopping it up. They would say to us, hey, Bill, hey, guys, how's it going? What you planning? What you plotting? <laughs> mm -hmm. like, there was something deep inside of some of these folks that when they see a few of us congregating, they get nervous. Yeah. And humor tells much truth, often more truth than we would tell apart from cloaking it in humor. And so you're right about what has to happen in Georgia. This is, this is what we need to do too. Now, you and I know that Warnock is schooled in liberation theology. Yeah. At his PhD under Jim Cohn. There's certain things that Warnock can't say anymore or else they'll sink his ship. Right. What we need to do is get the brother elected 
and hold him accountable in ways that don't weaken his ability to get more people health care, housing, living wages, because he will no longer be able to write the papers he once wrote once he gets to the Senate, but he can do the policy that makes for life. That's what we need. As we celebrate faith, Amani, we got to be clear that in the African cosmology, as opposed to a more European enlightenment cosmology, faith is not an idea. It is not lodged only in the precincts of the mind. Faith is embodied. It is lived. That Greek word that is translated as faith in the Christian New Testament is not about thinking. It is about an embodiment. Mm -hmm. trusting that leads to embodiment. So when it says that Abraham trusted God, doesn't mean that Abraham thought that it was good to think about God. Abraham moved out according to that trust. He did something. So faith for us is not idea alone. It is embodiment. That's what we need to be thinking about on the seventh day, embodying what it was our ancestors dreamt. You, in your piece, talked about America's racist um, myth. Well, but before I do it, though, just on the point you just made about about faith, you know, when we had to get permission uh, to 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 congregate uh, and then had to go hide in the hush harbors and whatnot. But we had to learn through our own experience that what you just said, it's about embodiment and not what the white man was saying to us. It's in the by and by. Y'all just keep <laughs> picking this cotton. And in the by and by, it's going to be better. So we we got straight on that. In that context, when we talk about the racist myth, is not to some degree um, those who are our enemies, who call themselves practicing, practicing another kind of faith, isn't that very faith, the faith that they practice that would lead them to desecrate a church or the front of the church or would lead them to deny the Voting Rights Act or would lead them to continue to, to kill our people, whether in the pandemic or the police-demic? Don't these things, aren't, isn't, aren't those types of faith and adherence to that type of faith, is that not mythical as well? Let me tell you this, brother, and I'm clear about this. Howard Thurman was clear about this. Um, Gayward Wilmore was clear about this. Uh, Dolores Williams, so many, the list goes on and on and on. We do not worship the same God. Thurman says cl clearly, the God of the enslaver and the God of the enslaved, no, it's, 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 it's not the same reality. So let, let me be clear. Mm. Jerry Falwell's God, Billy Graham's God, Franklin Graham's God, Paula White's God, Norman Vincent Peale's God. It's not the God of Gladys Beatrice Hall Austin, my grandmother, Sally Green Lamar, my grandmothers, Henry Lamar, Arthur Austin, my grandfathers. Not the same God. Not the same source. So someone was asking me the other day, all this division in the Christian community can? No, there is no division because it's not the same faith. It's not, let's, let's stop pretending like these people are going to be different theologically. They never were. They will not be. It is impossible until they turn away from that idol God, your tribal deity of white supremacy. 
It is not the same God. When I deal with them, it is interfaith dialogue. It is not a conversation of people who believe the same thing that I believe. And so I want us to stop wasting time thinking that they're going to come around. They've been doing this for 400 years. The same impulse that was trying to keep us from voting in the late 1800s and early part of 20th century, they used the same playbook this past election. Yeah. 2016 was the first election, general election, without the full protection of voting rights act since 1965. The same faith. They just don't say nigger, nigger, nigger anymore. But they're doing the same work. And so I want us, and again, this is not to dehumanize them because that's not a part of our story. This is being truthful about who they are. We still treat them as human beings, but we are aware of the game they play. We are aware of the God they serve. And we don't spend energy trying to think that they're going to do something else until they show us that that's what they're going to do. And they ain't shown that to us yet. Yeah, yeah. And 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 it's interesting how it, what you said is manifest in how they feel threatened by our very houses of worship. And, mm. and it proves that our houses of worship, even when some of us go there and don't think so, because some of us go to church for different reasons. We need to be going to church for the reasons you just stated, the embodiment, and for what Imani means today. But even those of us who go to church, well, I just go to church for the music or, or whatever, whatever you do, they get the power, and particularly the, the not only the spiritual, but the political power of the black church history and experience you don't mm. desecrate uh buildings that don't mean nothing mm. where folk just shouting and toe tapping and running around you 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 desecrate buildings or if you are enemies you desecrate those buildings that are actually empowering our people and and i think you know we've always known the church has been involved in getting out the vote and doing all that but it seems and, and they've made it this way they have made it even more uh, uh, crystallized and transparent as to the relevance of the black church when it comes to political power in this very runoff in Georgia. They made it that way because they made it about that. You're mm -hmm. right, brother, brother Warnock. He, you know, listen, man, we all we know when we got to be a little bit cool. I, you know, I tell people, I don't know if you were there that I was at Dr. Cohn's funeral. I, I wasn't able to attend, man. It broke my heart. Lamar, well, let me tell you something. It, 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 let me tell you what happened. You know how big Riverside Church is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Filled with preachers, right? But I sat on a row with a handful that actually get up in the pulpit and preach about Cone. Now, we could do it because none of us were pastoring. So I'm sitting next to one of my teachers and mentors, Kane Hope Felder. Oh my God. Benjamin Chambers. See, wow. but most of the folk in there don't preach cone from the pulpit every Sunday, not only because they have to do what they have to do, but there are even some congregations for whom that's still a little too heavy for. God of the oppressed. You gotta you gotta graduate people up to that point. But that's what it is. And 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 Warnock was there. He was there. And those that were there, I, I want to say that all of those that were there even if they can't preach Cone every day, they had enough respect for him and what he had done for us and our people and got enough of that theology 
they got on these airplanes and came up here to New York City to pay their respects for him. It was it was a sea of black preachers in there. So, you know, our enemies get it. All of the rest of us need to get it. Some of us who don't get it need to get it because our enemies are getting it. And that's why they're doing some of the things uh, that they're doing. Uh, um, um, what's next for Metropolitan? I, I you said you all gonna you all are gonna replace the sign. Oh, look, I told somebody uh, LL Cool G. I think it was his sophomore album, Bigger and Deffer. Uh, <laughs> I told him we gonna replace the sign, Bigger and Blacker. <laughs> look, I said I'm from the, the hip hop head, man. This is gonna be bigger and blacker. We going we going straight James Todd Smith on him, man. It's gonna be we putting the we gonna put the sign back up. But for Metropolitan, what we continue to do, my brother, is we're gonna stay on the front lines. We are consumed by black joy, by the love of life. And we are consumed by the idea that, see, this is the thing about Toni Morrison's brilliance, uh, her playing in the dark lectures. She says, essentially, and I'm nowhere near as eloquent as she, but I, people ask me when I'm going to write about white people. I don't need to write about white people because I can write about black people and in the stories of black people, is the universal truth, are the universal truths of life. So mm -hmm. my love of blackness has never been exclusive. It is my love for humanity. When you love black people, you fight for healthcare for all people. Mm -hmm. When you love black people, you fight for universal living wages for all people. When we have fought, see when, when Franklin Roosevelt rolled out the New Deal, the Dixiecrat senator said, OK, everybody but the Negroes. So they excluded domestic workers and agricultural workers, your grandparents and mine. I know mine and I'm assuming yours. I'm just making an assumption. But somebody in your family was doing that kind of work. Yeah. They excluded us. But black people in South Carolina during Reconstruction, when we took over the House of Representatives in South Carolina, we enacted universal free public education. White folk didn't do that because their God was an exclusive God. Mm. Our God is the God of all people. And when we get the opportunity, we bless everyone. So I make no apologies about loving who we are and being filled with joy and fight. Like Mamie Till who says, look at what they did to my son, but I am going to live and I'm going to strike a match that's going to wake y'all up because all of your sons are potential enemies. We've got to, in the midst of the death, the onslaught, love life like Mamie Till loved life. Love life like Fannie Lou Hamer after they sexually assaulted her. She kept coming. She kept singing. She kept fighting. That's who we are. So what they don't understand is they're stirring up ancestral joy in us that makes us fight like hell. And that's what we're going to do. Amen. Amen. Folks, Pastor William H. Lamar IV, he is the pastor of Metropolitan, historic Metropolitan AME Church there in Washington, D.C. Uh, and like he said, it's going to be big and deafer. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we're going to look forward to that. And we're so inspired by our brother. And I just wanted him to stop on by and have a word with us uh, on this day of faith, Imani, uh, as we get ready to move into a, a new year, hopefully better than this one we've had, Lord have mercy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We yes, continue sir. to pray and be faithful. We were talking, as, as you all know, with Dr. Maulana Karinga earlier on the show, and he talked about uh, having faith not only in God, 
but having faith in our people, having yep. faith in one another um, as as the creations of God and the and as to use Pastor Lamar's word, the embodiment of God. And so that is what we must do, and we we will we will do so. My brother, we thank you. Thank you for joining us, and happy Kwanzaa to you. Much love, my brother. Happy Kwanzaa to you and to all. God bless, man. God bless you. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.